Last week, we started a new series on Joseph, the life of Joseph, and we really talked more about Jacob and Joseph's grandmother, Rebecca, and it was, uh, it was a message on dysfunctional families and how we all have them, and it, it's all over the Bible, so if you missed it, you can go back, you can look uh, on our website, on our app, and listen to that sermon. It was a great start to kind of set the foundation of what we're talking about with the life of Joseph. Because if you don't understand where Joseph came from, if you don't understand the things that he went through before his story even begins in the Bible, then you really can't appreciate who he was. And he inherited upon himself a very dysfunctional family. And we're going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 37. And what we're going to do this morning is just read through Genesis 37 and just glean everything we can from his life. And um, man, I'm excited about what God has to share this morning. So let's pick it up in verse 2 of Genesis 37. It says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because, of their, fa because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Okay, so this sets the stage. And what we need to understand, just kind of put a pin in this. Like remember this when we, as we progress with the story of Joseph, but, but when we meet Joseph, we meet a 17-year-old tattletale. I mean, that's truthfully what is going on here. It says he's 17, and but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. All right, he is a tattletale. Daddy, daddy, they were doing this, they were doing that. Just really building love between he and his half-brothers, right? So let's, I mean, let's just consider that. Remember that as, as we remember this story and, and, and understand that Jacob, the dad, loves Joseph more. He makes that very clear. It's not a secret with this, uh, with this robe that he gives him, this richly ornamented robe that Joseph gets to wear to display and tell everybody how much he is the favorite, okay? And then, so when we, when we pick up this story, this is not a time that you would think that God would speak to Joseph, right? It's, it's not in our lives when things are just going terribly, and, and people hate us that we're like, all right, God, you know, I'm ready to hear from you. You know, you, you would think that's it, but this is not a time where we would expect Joseph to hear from the Lord. But it says in verse five, where we picked up in last week's sermon, one night Joseph had a dream. So here it is, God is speaking to Joseph. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. And Joseph goes on, verse six, listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Isn't it amazing that they were able to translate the dream immediately? Like they knew what it meant. He didn't have to explain it to them. They knew. And listen to what they say, y'all. This is, this is the crux of the whole message this morning. Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. So in these first few verses in Joseph's life, it says three times that the brothers hated him. But here's what I wanna, I wanna focus on is their words to him, not even about the dreams, not what God is saying to Joseph, but what the brothers say to Joseph in response to the dreams. And it's right here. Do you actually think that you will reign over us? I wanna say this this morning. To many of us in here, that phrase, do you actually think, is verbiage of the enemy, 
right? That's the enemy's tactics because when God will speak to us and he'll say things to us, radical things, and then all of a sudden the enemy comes in real quick and says, do you actually think that he said that? Do you actually think that that could be you? That is the lie of the enemy. That is his verbiage. Like, you know why? Because God, there's no actually think with God. It's definite with God, all right? It is in stone with God. And so when we hear this, even from the brothers, that is the enemy's verbiage. Do you actually think? And it says so. Let's go all the way back to Genesis 3, verse 1. The serpent was one of the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, listen to this, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? There it is. He loves to create doubt. He loves to create doubt. And as soon as God speak to us, speaks to us these amazing things, because God's words are always amazing, he doesn't practice average, all right? He speaks amazing things. And so the enemy wants to create doubt. Charles Swindoll says this, I love this. He says, man's obedience plus God's faithfulness leads to miracles, okay? Man's obedience plus God's faithfulness leads to miracles, and here's the thing that we need to understand about that equation. God's faithfulness is there. It is unwavering. It is unmoved. It is, it is always there. All right? It is a fixture in that equation. The thing that comes into question is not God's faithfulness. It is man's obedience. And when we have doubt, when we start believing the, did he actually, then it becomes a lot harder for us to be obedient. And then... We can't combine our obedience with God's faithfulness and the miracles don't happen. So the enemy knows that if he creates doubt in us, then we're gonna have a hard time being obedient and we can't match that with God's faithfulness and those miracles that we're believing for never come. And so what we do is we buy into the enemy's verbiage of did he actually? All right. Here's the a, here's a thing that, that we need to consider about all this with your life with Jacob's life, all right? Joseph's brothers hated him, right? We know that. It says it three times. Joseph's brothers hated him. God loved Joseph. So it wouldn't make any sense for what God says about Joseph and what the brothers say about Joseph to line up and match, right? Because you can look in your own life. The people that love you and the people that hate you they don't say the same things about you, right? Because how they feel towards you is totally different. And we need to understand that as well, all right? Listen, I hate to burst anyone's bubbles in here, but the world is never gonna speak over your life the way that God does, all right? And we want that so bad. I, we, we fight this, this battle that really should never even be fought. Like we just want the approval, of, why? It's never gonna line up. But what would we spend all this time and energy? Why, why, why? Instead of doing that, why don't we instead consider what God who loves us is saying about us and focus on that and ignore the detractors? And so it makes total sense here if the brothers hate Joseph to say, did he actually say? When God says something radical over Joseph's life because God loves Joseph, it would make no sense for them to hate him and say, oh yeah, amen, brother. I think that's true too. The enemy hates you. So of course, of course he's, he's gonna say different things than what God says over you. All right, let's keep reading. Verse nine. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. 
Listen, I have had another dream. Maybe not. Read the room, Joseph. Read the room. So the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time, he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers, here it is, actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Here it is again. Actually? Did he actually say that to you? Did he actually say those things over you? And I want to say two things about this. You know, Joseph in this moment, he's so excited of what God is saying. He's just looking for someone to share it with, right? God spoke this. Isn't this amazing? And so who better than to tell than his family? Well, in this instance, not the smartest thing. And here's what we need to understand, y'all. We can get excited about the things that God has put in our hearts, but we still need to be careful about who we share those things with. Because there are going to be people in your life that you want to say that to, and they are going to say sometimes with good intentions, sometimes not. They're going to sound a lot like Joseph's dad and his brothers. Did he actually say that to you? Are you sure about that? Because that sounds pretty risky to me. You want to quit your job and go do this? You want to, you want to give up going here and doing this? You want to put your money elsewhere? You want to tithe more? You want to serve here? Are you sure? How is that going to affect this, that, and the other? And what do we do? We start to listen to the actuallys. But let me put it this way. God actually created the heavens and the earth. All right? God actually knit you together in your mother's womb. Jesus actually died on the cross and rose again for you. The Holy Spirit actually leads you every single day if you will let him. And God actually has a plan for your life that is bigger than you could ever dream in your wildest dreams. So instead of saying actually, how about we say definitely, all right? Definitely I will do that. Definitely I will do what I'm called to. Definitely I believe what he has over me. Definitely I believe the word. I'm not going to believe the actuallys. I'm going to believe the definitelys that are in God's word. Because he is truth. He is truth. But we don't. We don't do it. Listen. We've lost the fear of the Lord in so many ways. We have lost the fear of God and the reverence of our holy God because we measure up the actuallys and our fears with him. The fear of the Lord says, I'm going to do it. I don't care what my detractors say. I don't care about the actuallys. I don't even care if it makes sense to me right now, but I fear God and I I revere him and I trust him. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to do what you've called me to do despite what everyone else might say. And I'm going to measure it against your word. And that might mean getting wise counsel from pastors or elders or whomever that you trust that you know is going to speak God into your life. But you say definitely, not actually, because actually is verbiage of the enemy. And I know, I know that there are some of us in here this morning that have been saying actually for a long time. And here's the part that I want to get to that's, that's so good and so important because this next section of text is deal, it deals with the now what after the dream. And it's in the now what that, that actually can start making its way into our life and into our brain and into our heart because we're not patient people, right? 
You try and watch a video on YouTube and that five second countdown to skip ad comes on and you're just staring at it. Three, two, one, now! Oh, okay, it's over. Woo! Uh, that was a tough five seconds. I mean, I was about to lose it. We can't handle five seconds before a YouTube clip. How are we gonna wait the now what in our lives? And uh, man, I said this to my Bible class the other day and it is so true. The enemy has created a world that has made it to where we don't have to wait anymore. And that is a scary thing because when it comes to following the Lord, we have to wait on him. We have to wait on him because there's things that he's called us to that we're not ready for now. Just like Joseph wasn't ready at 17. He was a tattletale, spoiled brat. But the dream was there. He wasn't ready for it yet. And there are things that God has put in your life. And maybe you've heard the dream, all right? You've professed it out and you've taken that step. But now you're in the now what? What do we do? Let's, let's read about Joseph. <clears throat> Verse 12. Soon after this, Joseph's brother went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. I love, I love, I love that response that Joseph has. And to me, that tells me everything that we need to know about why God chose Joseph for the calling that he did. Because Joseph has this dream, the family's gonna bow down to him. And this dysfunctional father, by the way, tells him to go do something. And now if that's us a lot of times, wait a second, I don't know if you heard, but I had a dream twice over that y'all are gonna bow down to me and you want me to go run an errand for you? You dad, that's not a very good dad. I don't think I really need to honor you anymore because God's called me to something greater. See, Joseph's in the now what time and how he responds to his dysfunctional father telling him to go do something is not, no, that's below me now. It's, yeah, I'm ready, let's go. Yes, dad, I will continue to honor you even though you're not perfect, even though you've made life pretty hard for me. You want me to go do something? I'm ready to go. And if you study scripture and you look at the people that God calls to do amazing things, the number one common characteristic that all of them have is humility. It's humility. It's being able to handle the dream in the moment when the dream hasn't come to pass yet. And so Joseph has this dream. His dad sends him on an errand and his response is, I'm ready to go. Verse 14. Then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him saying, what are you seeking? It's an important question. So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Okay, so these three verses are really interesting. And, and I just want to say this as an aside, when you read the Bible, like really read it. Ask questions when you're reading it because there's awesome, sometimes weird things in it that should pique your curiosity. And this, these three verses are those for me. 
And when I read these verses, the first thing that comes to my mind is, who is this guy? Like, honestly, who, who is this guy that randomly appears when Joseph is doing basically a menial task, right? He's just going to check on his brothers. Why is this in the Bible? Why is this important that, that the Lord thought he needed to highlight this conversation that Joseph has with this man who's not even named? Is he an angel, right? Is he just a guy from around the town? But, but when we read, because here's the thing, y'all, God spoke to Joseph in a dream, but God speaks to us every day in his written word. If we take the time and we slow down and really read it and allow it to read us, then we don't have to sit there and say, well, God never talks to me. I wish I had a dream like Joseph. Listen, we have the luxury of God speaking to us every day through his word. But we have to read it. We have to get into it, get a little, get our fingers dirty and claw at it and ask the questions that just, you know, pique our curiosity. Who is this guy? But this is the conversation that they had. So now a certain man found him, let's go back, wandering in the field. He says, what are you seeking? Now, when we get a dream downloaded to us by God and we feel like there's a calling for us to do this certain thing, I mean, we end up a lot of times wandering in the field, just like Joseph. And this man asks this question. You notice he doesn't say, who are you seeking? He says, what are you seeking? And a lot of times what we're seeking after God speaks to us is not the errand that we're currently on. It's the dream fulfillment. So Joseph could have said, well, I'm seeking the throne, right? I'm seeking the power and the authority that God told me about. I'm looking for it. And we don't need to show hands right now, but I, I, I've been there. So many times when God says, you're called to this. Okay, sweet. Wait, wait, let, let me figure it out now. Let me uncover every little thing, open every door. And then it's up to me now to fulfill the calling that you've put on my life. Rather than just continue to live, continue to grow, to continue to get in scripture, to continue to follow after him, all of a sudden I become Magnum PI and I try and figure out the case all on my own. And I actually put God to the side because I'm so consumed with the fulfillment of what he said over my life. Am I the only one? <laughs> like, no, no amens. Okay, just me. All right, just me. All right. <laughs> what are you seeking? He said, he said, I'm seeking my brothers. I'm trying to find my brothers. Why? Because that is what his dad told him to do. This is your task at hand. Do this. Okay, I'm going to go. And, but, and, and here comes this guy. You know, a lot of times when we're in the now, what we feel so much like we are wandering in the field. And the reason why Joseph was wandering in the field is because the people that he was looking for weren't there. And Joseph goes to this place and then God brings this guy, whether he was an angel, a man, who doesn't matter. There was someone there that redirects him a different way. I think about that. But my dad said to go to Shechem and that they would be here. And I don't know you. So I have to stay on this road because this is where you've led me. And so I'm just going to dig my heels in. I'm going to be stubborn about it. And I'm not going to listen and go a different way. Because I'm so, I have my blinders on to this right here. And I'm fixated on what is in front of me right here. And God's saying, I want you to turn. I want you to go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. They're not here. But we don't do that all the time. And we wander. We just wander in this field because we're not where we're supposed to be. Even when God sends someone along our path to say, this is the way you need to go. 
This is the direction. And Joseph does. He's not too proud. He doesn't have his ears turned off to God. He just says, okay, I'm going to go. And what does he do? He finds his brothers there. You see, the thing is, Joseph had to go to Dothan. If he had said, no, it's good. I'll just catch up with him later. I'm going to go back home. He would have missed the next thing that was going to happen in his life. God was steering him to Dothan towards his brothers because he knew that is where everything was going to go down. It wasn't going to happen in Shechem. The Ishmaelites weren't going to go through Shechem. They were going to go through the Dothan. So that's where Joseph had to go. And so he went. Hmm. All right, let's keep going. Verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Okay, listen here. Again, voice of the enemy. Pay attention. Voice of the enemy. The first thing that the enemy does is say, actually, right? We've covered that. But here's what, here's what happens next. When the actually doesn't work and it didn't work on Joseph, the next thing that the enemy will do will mock you and threaten you. And that's what's happening right here. They say, here comes that, quote, dreamer, sarcastic. Let's kill him. Oh, here comes so-and-so, Christian, Jesus lover. All right? And then the enemy says, you do that, you do what God's called you, you're going to lose your marriage. You're going to lose your kids. Your finances are going to be in shambles. You're going to lose your friends. People are going to stop talking to you. Threat after threat after threat after threat to stop us from believing in the definitely and instead buying in to the actually, the lie of the enemy. God's plans for us are so big. They are so big. God's plans for you and your life are so big. Don't let the lies, those empty threats of the enemy stop you. You know what this sounds like when I read this, what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Jesus. It reminded me of Jesus. That's exactly what happened to him. When he gets arrested, they mock him and they threaten him with death to the point that they too, but even death for Jesus was an empty threat because all it did was lead to an empty tomb, all right? Death was a threat to Jesus. It was not the fulfillment of a threat. And so the enemy uses it on Jesus. You can believe he's gonna use it on us as well. And you have to be ready for it. You have to understand that those things are coming. And we're gonna have the band come back up and we're gonna, we're gonna worship some more. But as we close this morning, I got a couple more thoughts though. Let's pick it up in verse 21. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Isn't that so telling in that moment too, what they thought of that robe? That misguided anger on Joseph. They were ripping off the hurt that they had towards their dad for loving Joseph more. Verse 24, then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. 
After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. If there was ever a time for Joseph to believe in the actually, it was now. He went from being the favorite to wearing, from wearing a robe to wearing shackles, being the favorite to being a slave, to being in his homeland into a foreign land, just like that. And here's the kicker. Joseph had done everything right. He did everything right. He heard God's word over his life. He believed it. He even professed it. He did what his dad told him to do. And he ended up being sold by his own family into slavery. God, did you actually say that? Did you actually say that you had a plan for my life? Because it sure doesn't feel like it right now. I feel alone. I feel betrayed. I feel like I've been treated unfairly. And all I've done is everything that you've asked of me. And here I am, a slave now, going to a land that doesn't even worship you. What are you doing? Did you actually say that to me? Did you actually give me those dreams? Does that sound familiar? Let's stand up this morning. And I want to ask you something. And I want to do this. Because so many times in our life, we're obedient to the call of God. We get this dream. We get this call over what we're supposed to do. And we actually muster up the courage to walk in that calling, to take that bold step and do what God has put on our heart to do. And then all of a sudden, our world gets flipped, turned upside down. Everything that we thought was going to be is the complete opposite. And we sit there and say, God, what are you doing? And I just, wanna, I just want us all to be vulnerable. Look, we're a family here at Beaches Chapel. We don't try and impress anybody. We're all saved by God's grace. And so what I wanna do is I just want you to raise your hand if that's ever been you or is you right now. Have you ever been in that situation? Okay, keep your hands up. Keep them up. And I want y'all to look around the room. Look around at everybody who has their hand up. You see? <laughs> you see that? You are not the only one. All right, this is how God operates because he doesn't want you to be a 17 year old tattletale when he has the fulfillment of your dream over your life. He wants to do a work in you. And so what we need to do in the now what is stop asking actually, God, did you do that for me or say that over me? What we need to be asking is God, what are you trying to do in me right now? And instead of looking at our situation and everybody else and everything that's going on and, and saying, God, I've been treated unfairly. Why me, why me, why me? We can say, God, what about me? What are you trying to work out in my heart? What are you trying to do in me so that I can be ready for when that time definitely comes? God, how's my marriage? Are you trying to work, are you trying to make me a better spouse? God, are you trying to make me a better parent? Are you trying to correct my finances a little bit? Are you, are you trying to draw me closer to you? And do, do I need to give this up? Do I need to put this on the shelf or just put it away altogether? Am I abusing something that I should that's taking things away from you? What are you doing in me, God? Because I believe in the call, but I know that I'm not ready yet. I'm not a finished product. And so what are you doing in me? That's the question that we need to be asking ourselves. 
not actually did you do this? Actually, did you say this? God definitely speaks. He definitely has a calling for us. There is no question. There is no question that when God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you and to give a hope and a future. He wasn't saying that except for you, Bobby, except for you, Susie, it's for you. And it is definitely in his word. No matter what you walk through, no matter what this world looks like, I'm telling you that I'm, in this last year and a half, I have not seen one word in scripture changed. I have not seen a single word disappear like back to the future, all right? It's all still there. Why? Because God definitely said those things and he definitely meant them. So if that's you this morning, if you've been wandering in the field, you feel like you've heard God speak in your life, you, I, no, you know he spoke in your life. And maybe you've even had this courage to take that step. Say, God, I'm gonna do it. But things don't really look like you thought they would look. Sometimes that's just as simple as, as making Jesus your Lord and Savior, right? For those of you that have been walking in that for a while, you remember back and you get, I'm saved, every problem is gone forever, right? And then life comes back. Maybe you, God's telling you to do something else or you haven't, you're just wandering in the field. You need to know that God definitely said it. Stop asking, did you actually say this? And understand that he is doing a work in you so that when the time comes, you'll be ready and you will be a success and you'll be a witness to the Lord. I wanna pray for you. Then we're gonna enter back into worship this morning. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that your words are true. They don't change, that you are the God over everything. You are the God of definitely. And God, I pray for all of us in here that are struggling wandering around right now. And now, now what time? We've heard you, we believed it, God, but things aren't looking the way that we thought that they would look. We went from comfort to discomfort. God, we went from the robe to the shackles. Maybe we even feel abandoned, we feel alone, just like Joseph. God, I pray right now, Jesus, that you would break those chains of that lie of did you actually and replace them with you definitely did in Jesus' name. God, we're done with the actuallys. We're done with it. Enough, Lord. We come back to you. We come back to you, Lord God. You are champion, Father. You, God, that when we speak out your name, miracles happen, Father. You who heal, you who provide, you who have the perfect way, Lord God. I just speak that right now over everyone who feels lost, who feels alone, who feels like they're questioning everything about you. Did I, was I right? Did I make this huge mistake? God, bring truth back in and silence the lie of the enemy that we're gonna lose anything at all when we follow you. Thank you, Jesus. Be with those this morning, God, who are struggling in that. And let us hold on to that dream, hold on to that promise that you have spoken over us. That is true, God, that is true. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.